Vincent Werbeck's Derby. Good evening. My name's Matt, as Andy said. I'm the worship and student pastor here at Werbs, and it's a real privilege this evening to be kicking off our new series on worship. It's a subject close to my heart. It's something I'm really passionate about. And I hope that over these next few minutes or hours or however long it takes, uh, that all of us will be impacted and challenged in our worship of God. But before we jump into it, let's pray. Father, thank you that you are worthy. Thank you that you are love. Thank you that when we worship you, we become like you. Would you speak to us now, Lord, through your spirit? Amen. Secrets. They sell newspapers. They generate headlines. They intrigue us. They tantalize us, but they can also cripple and haunt us. Statistically, every person here this evening will be holding on to a secret that they have never told to another living soul. I'm not going to ask you what yours is, because then it would no longer be a secret. But I can tell you a secret, and I say this with great pride. I was the North Yorkshire under-11 chess champion. Just let that sink in. (laughs) What secret would you tell? If someone came to you and said, tell me a secret, what secret would you tell? One of the great philosophers of our time, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, once said, I can keep many secrets. I love secrets. I would be a phenomenal secret agent. And based on his muscle quantity alone, it is hard to argue with that statement. But today, as we begin this new series on worship, I want us all to think about our secret worship of God. I want us to think about worshiping God in the secret place. How do we worship God privately when it's just us before an audience of one? We live in a celebrity-obsessed society If I was to ask you to think of a recent scandal involving a celebrity that made news headlines and generated noise the world over, who would you think of? What situation would you think of? I'll give you a moment to think about that. Ryan Giggs, John Terry, Jeremy Clarkson, Andrew Marr, and more recently Philip Green, all high-profile public figures who've tried and ultimately failed to take out gagging orders against the media in order to prevent something that they would rather remain hidden in their lives becoming public. It would be interesting to hear which celebrity you thought of, which scandal you thought of, and maybe that's a conversation for coffee at the end of the service. But I wonder whether you thought of one of the earliest, most original scandals in history, the scandal of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So if you have a Bible with you tonight, either hard copy or on your phone, then would you turn, please, to the book of Genesis? It's easy to find. It's the first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3. We pick up the story in verse 7, directly after Adam and Eve have eaten from the very tree that God banned them from eating from. 
Genesis 3, 7 and 8. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? There are so many things that we could pull out from this passage. We see the blame game. We see Adam, the typical man, blaming the woman. We see the rationalizing, the justifying, the deflecting that all of us are prone to doing in the midst of our sin. We see the guilt. We see the corroding effects of shame leading Adam and Eve to heartbreakingly, for the first time ever, hide from the Lord God. And yet, we see something else in these verses, something else that is perhaps not immediately obvious when we read them. And that thing is the mercy of seeing calls to Adam and Eve. Where are you? Where are you? Do we think that God, the sovereign Lord of all, really didn't know where they were? Do we think he was struggling in this game of hide and seek? Where are you, God says? Even in the midst of Adam and Eve's sin, he asks a question. He invites relationship. He invites a response. And this is the God that we worship, a God of mercy, a God who's always coming towards his people, a God who longs for relationship with us and invites us in, even in the aftermath of our sin and our shame. So the first point I want to make this evening is that with God, there is no such thing as a private life. With God, there is no such thing as a private life. The writer of Psalm 139 supports this notion that having a private life when it comes to God is nonsense. The writer says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. So the writer of Psalm 139 goes to great lengths to point out that hiding from God is futile. Running from God is pointless since there is nowhere we can run to where God will not be found. But I'm going to contradict myself now. Having said that with God, there is no private life. I want us to grasp that God calls each one of us to have a private life. God calls you, God calls me to have a private life. In chapter 6 of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says to his followers, When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And the word when is vital here. It's a firm command. It's a direct instruction from Jesus to his followers. As are the words close, as are the words go. Jesus is not giving us an option. He's not saying if you feel like it, maybe think about praying. He's saying when you pray. He expects us to pray. As his followers, we are commanded to pray. And again, in his mercy, he provides us with instructions. He tells us how to pray. He says, close the door. Go into your room. You have to do that the other way around for it to work. Go into your room. Close the door. 
and pray to your Father. And if we're honest, I wonder how many of us here this evening are truly committed to the daily act of shutting ourselves away with the Father. And yet, this is exactly what Jesus commands us to do. Every single one of us who knows and loves God, who professes Christ as Savior, is called to build a private life with the Lord, is called to build a private rhythm of prayer and worship, is called to develop a secret history with the Lord. And this can be done most effectively in the secret place. I want to say this evening that if running from God and hiding from God is futile, then running to God and hiding with God is fertile. It births life. It bears fruit. The secret place is the place where we learn to worship. The secret place is the place where we learn to pray. The secret place is the place where we learn who God is and who we are. And the secret place is where we learn to connect. Something that I long for each of us to grasp in our worship of God is that there can be no intimacy without privacy. There can be no intimacy without privacy. If you take the example of a marriage, if you think of a husband and wife, they would never hope to even begin to develop any kind of meaningful intimacy if everything they said and did together was always done in the company of others. For starters, the honeymoon would be incredibly awkward. True intimacy is birthed out of privacy, and it's no different when it comes to our relationships with God. In his excellent book, The Undefended Leader, Simon Walker says, but before I say what Simon Walker says, I just want to say thank you to Andy Bond for the recommendation. Uh, If spiritual gifts included recommending books, then Andy would be top of the tree. He would have been first in the queue when that gift was given out. Please talk to Andy. He's always got a great book to recommend. This is another one, The Undefended Leader by Simon Walker. He explains in his book that each of us has a front stage persona as well as a backstage persona. In and a backstage, those things which we try to keep hidden, which we are desperate to remain secret. The challenge, Walker says, for each of us is to ensure that there is no gap between our front stage lives and our backstage lives. Accountability, confession, humility are absolutely key in order to ensure that there is little to no gap between these two personas. And on that note, I'd strongly encourage you, strongly encourage all of us here today to invest in the people amongst us who inspire us, who challenge us, who encourage us, who make us want to be more like Jesus. Simon Walker goes on to say in The Undefended Leader that freedom comes when we start to allow people to see not only the glossy image, the front stage, but the mess as well, the backstage. And I want to acknowledge that all of us find it difficult to be vulnerable. All of us find it difficult to open up and be honest about the shame and the sin and the struggle in our lives. But the more we get into the habit of being vulnerable with others about who we are, the power of sin decreases in our lives as we learn, because we've learned to be vulnerable with one another, to be vulnerable with God in the secret place. And as the power of sin decreases in our lives, the power of intimate relationship with God increases. I'm part of a prayer group, a prayer quartet. 
here at Werves with three other guys from the church. We're kind of a boy band. And it's, um, they've maybe let themselves go a little bit. Uh, but it's, it's such a life-giving thing to be a part of. Each one of us are committed to encouraging each other, to being real and open with each other, to holding each other to account and to challenging and spurring each other on to become more like Jesus. And I would strongly encourage you, if you're here this evening, to make use of things like the book cafe trip on a Sunday morning, the pub social tonight at the Old Bell, the midweek pub socials at the Bishop Blaze, Alpha Course Sanctuary, Words Groups. Make use of these opportunities to enjoy greater freedom and openness and trust relationally. We might even call it authentic community. If you think back to the example of a marriage, it's no different when it comes to our worship of God. In our worship of God, there can be no intimacy. God in the secret place will determine how well we worship him in the public place. Now, Andy alluded earlier that I'm a bit pedantic. Wait for it. No. Hey, thank you, Matt. I'm a little bit pedantic when it comes to things like grammar and spelling and apostrophes. And so with that in mind, I've decided to make up a word this evening. And that word is automacy. I don't know if it's against the law to make up a word. I'm lobbying the Oxford English Dictionary, but that word is automacy. And I've defined automacy as the result or consequence of intimacy and the public outworking of a high-quality relationship that has been intentionally forged in private intimacy. The pastor and founder of the vineyard, John Wimber, once said when he was reflecting upon his own experience of ministry, we learned that what happens when we are alone with the Lord determines how intimate and deep the worship will be when we come together. We learned that what happens when we are alone with the Lord determines how intimate and deep the worship will be when we come together. Each of us must get into the regular habit of worshipping God in the secret place so that we learn to connect with him. And as we connect with him, we'll bring that connection into our homes, into our families, into our workplaces, into our universities, into the rest of our lives. The American pastor and writer John Mark Comer, one of my favorite writers and teachers, challenges us saying, in this busy, digital, urban world where we're bombarded by noise, if we want to experience the life of Jesus, then we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. But before we look at the practical suggestions, I want to make the point that the secret place is a practical place. The secret place is a practical place. It's a place of doing as well as a place of being. The passage from Matthew 6 that we looked at earlier sees Jesus go on to instruct his followers to fast and sacrifice. And we'll talk about that a bit more in a minute. But when he tells them to go into a room, we learn that the secret place is also a physical space. The secret place is also a physical space. And I don't know, even now, if you can think of a room, might be a home or in a workplace, that could be your secret space. A room whose primary function is communion with God, is relationship with God. All the Hebrew scholars amongst us will know that the Old Testament Hebrew word for tabernacle literally means dwelling place. And I wonder if we can think of or if we can find or if we can even build or create a space 
that is the primary place that we dwell with God and a primary place where God dwells with us. So as we dive into the practical suggestions of things we might want to start doing in our worship of God, I wanted to make uh, this next section a bit more memorable. So being the pedant that I am, I've come up with what I'm calling success in the secret place. Success in the secret place. Effectively, six words, six practices, beginning with S, to help us engage with God as we worship him privately. Number one, silence. Silence. A lost art form, becoming all the more lost in today's noisy, crazy society. We're constantly bombarded by noises from our phones, by noises from media, by noises from advertisers. John Mark Homer describes silence as a moment of intentional quiet with God. I really like that definition, a moment of intentional quiet with God. And speaking in my own experience, I can honestly say that out of all the spiritual disciplines, the discipline of being silent and still before God is one of the most life-giving and most nourishing. The second S on the list is solitude. Very much linked to silence, solitude is the act of being alone with God. The act of being alone with God. I just want to say, theologically, you're never alone because God is always with you. This is the act of being alone with God. And it sounds obvious, but if we ever hope to have an intimacy that thrives in privacy, if we ever hope to spend all our time in the company of others, and that's a huge relief to the introverts in the room, but if we hope to experience aloneness with God, we can't do that if we're constantly surrounding ourselves with other people. Next S on the list, Scripture. The Bible, God's Word, such an amazing gift to us. In the Bible, God reveals who he is. He reveals his nature to us. He reveals who we are. If you want to know God, get to know the Bible. There are so many great resources to help us engage with Scripture. One that I'd like to flag up this evening is the Bible in One Year app from HTB, from Nikki and Pippa Gumbel. It's a fantastic app, a fantastic tool, different readings every day, taking you through Scripture with some great prayers and insight. And so if you haven't already, I'd encourage you to download that, check it out, or feel free to come and speak to me. I'm happy to recommend other helpful things to you. I'm currently with my brother at the turn of the new year. My middle brother and I are currently trying to read through the whole of the Bible in 90 days. And I am wrestling, which is the right word, through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy at the moment. And it made me think, actually, reading Leviticus especially, that vegans would have struggled back then. The next S on the list is supplication. Supplication, I'm going to come clean. I needed a word beginning with S. Thankfully, this means prayer, because I wanted to put prayer on the list. So we've, we've got supplication. Effectively, a fancy word meaning prayer. It literally means to ask things of God. And it appears in the Bible 60 times, the word supplication. Essentially, prayer or supplication is conversation with God. And for any relationship to thrive, conversation has to be a two-way process. It has to involve speaking, but it also has to involve listening. Speaking as a married man, I can say that life goes much better for me when I listen to my wife. 
And she's here this evening, so I'm glad she heard that. <laughs> I hope she's listening to me. <laughs> listening is an essential part of prayer. In any successful relationship, for any relationship to thrive, both parties must be able to make themselves known and must be able to be known by the other. And you might be sitting here this evening thinking, I really struggle to hear from God. I really struggle to hear what he's saying. And I'd want to say in response to that, don't stop listening. Don't stop pressing in. It's a great bit on the Alpha Course where they have a quote from John Wimber talking about healing. And he says, when we prayed for no people to get healed, no one was healed. But when we prayed for lots of people to get healed, some were healed. I want to challenge each of us in our worship of God to make listening an essential part of prayer. If we're not making time to listen to God, then how can we realistically expect him to speak to us? And I once read something that dramatically changed the way that I prayed. And this was that for so many Christians, when it comes to prayer, we can approach God with this kind of fast food drive-through mentality where we pitch up, where we place our order, and then we drive off into the distance. And it's so helpful when we grasp that prayer should be so much more than that. It's about spending time with the God who loves us, who invites us into relationship with him. Next S on the list, sacrifice. Essentially fasting, essentially the discipline and practice of going without, of giving something up. Traditionally, fasting would have always revolved around food, but there are so many things that we can give up. There are so many things that God may be calling us to sacrifice. Before Christmas, myself and Mr. Lewis, who was leading worship this evening, we both decided to come off social media for a month. And I can say it was honestly one of the most challenging things to do, especially in those first few days. Not least because every time I was on the loo, I didn't have anything else to do. But let's not dwell on that too much. But actually, the results were so life-giving. It was so freeing to delete those apps, to stop wasting time just mind-numbingly scrolling through feeds and lists of ultimately pretty pointless, useless information. And it might be that you're sitting here this evening knowing that God has already been calling you to go without something. It doesn't have to be forever. It can be for a specific period of time. And speaking from experience, I would want to say to each of us this evening that even as I'm speaking now about fasting, about sacrificing, if you feel a sense of dread because deep down you know that God's calling you to, to go without something or sacrifice something, the chances are it's probably the very thing you need to give up in order for him to retake his rightful place. The final S, Sabbath. Traditionally in Jewish culture, the Sabbath was a day set aside for rest and for worship, the people of God. And they encourage us to make every effort to enter into that rest. And if you're honest... Are you making every effort to enter into that Sabbath rest of God? This stuff's so challenging. I'm preaching to myself here. Please, please hear me when I say that. But I put it to you that if you're the kind of person who constantly rushes around, who's constantly working, who's constantly hurrying and busying themselves with distractions and all the varying demands and competing things on our time that life throws at us, then your worship of God will be far less effective because you're not spending time resting in him. And the secret place is the place 
that we learn to rest. The secret place is the place where we learn who we are and whose we are. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Jesus' words in Matthew 11, 28 to 30 in the Message Bible. Peterson writes, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The secret place is where we learn the unforced rhythms of grace. As God ministers his refreshing presence, his life-giving kindness to us. So there we have it. The secrets to success in the secret place. Silence, solitude, scripture, supplication, in brackets, prayer. Sacrifice, Sabbath. I'll try and put something up on social media after today to help us remember these. But as I finish, as I come into land, which I've learned since growing up in the church, that's a phrase speakers use when they're going to speak for about another half hour, but they just put people's minds at ease. As I come into land... It might surprise you that I've not spoken about singing this evening. And partly that's because I know Phil's going to be speaking to us about singing in a couple of weeks and I don't want to steal his thunder. So make sure you're here on the 27th to hear about that. But I want to say that singing is such a great thing to bring into the secret place. It's such a good habit to get into. The church throughout the years has been singing praises to God. We're going to spend eternity singing praises to God. So we may as well get into the habit of doing it now. And the relief and the good news for the less tuneful among us that worshipping God and singing to him in a secret place is freeing and liberating because no one else has to hear it. <laughs> I'd like to finish again, would I? <laughs> we'll see. I'd like, to, I'd like to finish by saying that these six S's are called practices for a reason. They're called practices because we have to practice them to get good at them. They're called disciplines because they're not easy. Sometimes we will not feel like doing them. But practice them, we must. Do them, we must. If our worship of God is to be personal, life-giving, intimate, and authentic. So I want to challenge each of us here to build a private life of prayer and worship. To build rhythms and daily habits, holy habits of prayer and intimacy with the Father. Research shows that if a person does the same thing every day for six weeks then that thing becomes habit. That thing becomes second nature. It becomes ingrained into that person's very DNA. And I wonder if there's just one or two of the things I've spoken about this evening that you might want to start doing in your daily secret worship of God. How different would your life be? How different would your worship of God look if you were to adopt some of these holy habits? There's a verse in Jeremiah that I love where God says to Jeremiah, this is the New Living Translation, Jeremiah 33.3. For those music fans of mine, you're just interesting. You too actually have 33.3 on one of their albums. Ask me and I will tell you remarkable secrets you do not know about things to come. And this is a crazy thought. This blew my mind when I was reading this verse, preparing for today. We can know such levels of intimate relationship with God that God, the maker of the universe, shares his secrets with us. So before we move into taking communion and to worshipping and responding together, I want to give you all a gift this evening. No expense spared. I want to give you all a gift. So on your chairs, 
you should find a business card. On the front of the business card, there's some verses from Isaiah. And on the back, there's a prayer and some instructions. Recently, several of us on the staff team here at Worth have voiced that we felt challenged individually in terms of our own daily rhythms and habits of prayer and worship. And we were voicing the other week that it would be great if we as a community of worshippers, as a community of Jesus followers, could also commit to taking up a practice or a discipline each day. At first we thought, would there be a time of day where all of us can down tools and pray? But realistically that's very difficult to do because of the various schedules and demands that each of us have on our time. So we've come up with this business card. We've called it the habit of hydration, a daily rhythm of refreshing. Because the healthy among us, hopefully all of us every day will have a drink of water. And so we've given you this card, this resource, to take away with you, to keep in your pockets, put on your bedside table, keep in your wallet, stick to your fridge, just as a reminder to bring God into your day-to-day living. There's a prayer on the back which you're welcome to pray every day. You don't have to. It's just there to kind of design us, to encourage us to slow down and bring God into what we're doing. But you can pray anything. But we just hope that this will be a really practical and encouraging gift, enabling each of us to get into better holy habits and enjoy that daily connection with the Father. So please take them away with you this evening. So as we move from thinking about worshipping God in the secret place, as we move from the secret place into the public act of taking communion together. My prayer and my longing for each one of us here this evening is that we all get to encounter and enjoy the company of our loving invites us to shut ourselves away with him again and again and again. Amen.